Welcome back to the Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about influence. Jared was pissed, and he was making no secret of it. Assigned to a special projects team, he had responsibilities, but no authority. He felt he spent all his time pleading with people for resources or work hours, but people had their own jobs and their own responsibilities. They said they wanted to help. They gladly put Jared on their to-do list, but with no authority, Jared just had to wait. Feeling constantly stonewalled, Jared asked for help, and he was given a coach with the goal of increasing his influence. During our very first coaching conversation, I heard Jared lament, I know I'm not being very influential, I can see that, but I don't really know why. Over many sessions, I learned how Jared approached people and what those various conversations sounded like. At one point, I observed, it sounds like one of your natural strengths is your ability to strongly make your case. I emphasized those last three words. I'm so glad to hear you think I make my case, he said. I think so, too. So why can't I get anything done? I asked Jared, could I tell him a story? He said, yes. I waited while he changed positions. Then I began. This takes place during World War II, on the home front. There were all kinds of shortages, gas shortages, rubber shortages, and food shortages. One food shortage was meat. And one solution to that problem was to have women buy less regular meat and instead buy more organ meat, hearts and livers and tongues, those kinds of meats. Tongue, he said. <laughs> my grandmother cooked tongue. Oh my gosh, so did mine, I said. And then I went on. Here's where the story really starts. The government saw this as an opportunity to learn something about influence. They designed two different methods for influencing women to use more organ meat, then they measured which method was more effective. Now, in one town, they'd hold a meeting in a library or a school or a church, and they would hand out recipes, they showed charts, they presented pictures, they gave lots and lots of reasons why the women should use more organ meat. In another town, they would go in and meet in someone's home. They'd sit down with small groups of women and they'd say, hey, help us out. We want this whole town to use more organ meat. We, we know it's not popular, but suppose you had to convince your neighbor next door, how would you do it? And then instead of the government having the ideas, like in the first town, the women came up with the ideas themselves. Were they great ideas? It didn't really matter, because what was really being measured was which of the two methods would create more compliance. In other words, which method had more influence. He said, I assume it was the second town. Why do you think so, I asked. Well, in the second town, the women were more involved. They were in small groups. I asked, and that matters because, I don't know, he answered. You're closer to the action. You get to have a say if you want it. Everyone wants to have their say. He went on, another thing that second town did better was to have the women come up with the solutions themselves. When it's your idea, you're more likely to do it, right? Seems you don't think the first town's method was very influential, I said. Well, it might have been, sure, he said, but I still like the second town better. In the first town, 
The government was the only one really doing any talking, like they were telling the women what to do. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Hesitantly, I said, so could we say that in the first town, the government was really good at making their case? I paused, hoping he'd hear my echo to his own style, and he did. He said, oh my gosh, is that what I've been doing? I don't know, I said, is it? Well, I don't think I sound much like the second town. I'm not involving people. I'm just telling them all the reasons they should help the special projects team. And then he cocked his head. So how would I involve people? Oh, that's a great question. I said, what do you do in other situations? Well, he said, when my direct reports tell me they aren't going to be able to do something, I ask them two questions. What's stopping you? And how can I help? And then he laughed with surprise. (laughs) Those questions would sure change my conversations, wouldn't they? I said, they do sound more like the second town. He asked, is this a legitimate influence technique? What, getting people involved? Having them participate in the solution? Asking them questions? Yes, I would say these are legitimate influence techniques. I think of it like giving people a test drive. I like that, he said. Get him in the driver's seat, they're more likely to buy. He wrote his two questions on his pad. What's stopping you, and how can I help? And then he said, you got other tricks up your sleeve? Hmm, I said, uh, oh yes. Here, this is great. I call it matching. Maybe you use it already. I've been using it for years. It can be great for influence. Well, I don't know if I use it or not. Can you explain matching? Sure. You can match someone in any number of ways. I could match your breathing, or I could match your rate of speech, or your expressiveness, or your lack thereof. Those are all behavioral ways that I could match you. Or I could match your preference for how you communicate. Jared, I match people's communication preferences all the time. I don't know that you would have noticed, but I do it with you. You do? Why? How? What are you matching? Let me see. Do you remember I asked your permission to tell you that story about the women in the meat? Yeah, he said cautiously, not knowing where this was headed. I did that. Because you and I are calibrated differently when it comes to storytelling. To me, everything is a story. But you're a data guy, so I'm sensitive to the difference. I pay attention to how you prefer to communicate, and I try to match your preference. He said, and tell me again, why exactly do we want to match someone's preference? Because, I said, we all like to work with people who are like us. If you sense that I am like you, that we match, lots of things get easier. Communication gets easier. Attributions become positive. Affinity gets assumed. Everything gets better because of matching. Well, <laughs> at least that's the hope, I laughed. What do you mean, he asked, sensing another story. I shook my head, still smiling. <laughs> At one of the very first companies where I ever consulted, this was when I was a baby, baby consultant, all the employees there had completed a behavioral self-assessment called DISC, 
And it just so happened that I had just gotten certified in DISC. And so this was a huge gift for me. I felt like I knew something. He asked, and DISC is some sort of test? It's an assessment, yeah. It measures four behavioral preferences, and each person prefers one of the four styles. It's simple and helpful. I love DISC. I still use DISC. It's great. So anyway, this company did something fantastic. They posted each person's DISC profile right next to their nameplate. So I could stand outside someone's office, glance at their profile, then walk in and match the person right off the bat. Now, this sounds great, right? Smiling, he said, but? (laughs) In DISC, one of the four styles doesn't like to chat. They think chat is a waste of time. They might even view chat with suspicion. Well, three of this company's leaders were that style. So intellectually, I knew that if I wanted to match with these leaders, I had to go in and get down to business. No chatting. Easy enough, you would think. However, I am the product of my parents' household, where, as young children, my siblings and I were taught the behaviors that go along with good manners, like we were taught to shake hands. Seriously, he asked? Oh, dead seriously. Shaking hands was a thing you learned, and you learned to look someone in the eye while you were doing it. How old were you, he asked. Young. Six, seven, eight. And here's the point of the story. We were also taught to chat. It was drilled into us that chat was something everyone with good manners was supposed to do. If you didn't chat, you were rude and inconsiderate. Chat made you a better person. So there I am. I'm sitting with this one leader, and I'm knowing I should cut to the chase and skip the chat. But all my programming was screaming, don't be rude. Chat with this woman. What happened, he asked. I started sweating buckets, but I didn't chat. I probably looked like I was having a heart attack, but I did cut to the chase, and I could tell it was better than if I had tried to chat with her. More seriously, I said, what I learned about matching is to do two things. First, notice the other person's style, which, by the way, is why an instrument like this can be so helpful. And second, Learn to flex your own style, and that can take a lot of practice. Nodding his head, Jared took out his pen. He said, So for me to have more influence, I need to stop making my case, stop telling everyone all the reasons why I'm right. I need to ask what's getting in their way and how can I help. I gave a thumbs up but didn't speak. And match them, he went on. Notice how they like to communicate and then adopt their style. Everyone has their preferences, right? Indeed they do, I said, feeling certain each of these ideas would help Jared get his influence back on the path towards the look and sound of leadership. I wonder what you thought. I wonder what you thought when you heard me say, and today we're talking about influence. What did you think you were going to hear? The reason I ask is because influence is such a gigantic word. It's like communication. You know, it's so big and it means so many things that it doesn't really mean anything at all in the beginning. So I wonder what you thought you were going to hear. And I'll tell you what I hope you did hear. I hope you heard two tiny slivers of this enormous concept called influence. 
So what were the two slivers? The whole first part of the episode is essentially a reminder that if you really want to influence, you have to be able to pull as well as push. Pulling is you making an effort to bring the other person towards you. You can only do that by focusing on the other person. Look, here's a quick story, and I think it'll make the point. A colleague of mine, another coach, recently got certified to deliver a particular program, and she asked if she could meet with me and tell me about it, and I said, sure. Now, you have to understand, there is an influence game that's being played here. Coaches refer work to each other all the time. So I knew going in... This woman wants to get on my radar so that if anything appropriate ever shows up for me, I would think of her. And I'm fine with all this, right? Because good referrals make me a better coach. So this is all good. She's trying to influence me to get excited about this new program of hers. So she sits me down and for 45 minutes, she talked pretty much nonstop. And I mean, that is a long time to talk. And yeah, she asked me a couple perfunctory questions, but she didn't really want to have any conversation about my answers. She wanted to do her spiel. It was all push and no pull. And she did not influence me, at least not positively. It wasn't effective. So if you want to gain influence, ask questions and listen and ask, how can you help? And listen. And that's one way you gain influence. That's the first sliver. And then we got to sliver number two, matching. (laughs) I have a lot to say about matching. But before I do, two words about you. First, you may recall I told you about attending a podcasting conference, and I only went there because of my good friend Dave Stahoviak, who is the host of Coaching for Leaders. I know a lot of you listen to Coaching for Leaders. If you don't, put it in your feed. It's great. Anyway, one thing I learned at that conference is how much value there is to be gained for me and for you, too, when I learn more about you. So there is a survey coming your way, and I can't wait to hear from you and find out who you are. Stay tuned to that. And second, this month, there were five reviewers in iTunes, first from Canada, Marlon SKK, then from the U.S., Army MJ84, Matador Thos, Netflix, and Professor C. May. I got to be in touch with the professor, which was very nice. Good to exchange that with you. Thank you so much. And really, thanks to all of you who post in iTunes For a podcast like mine, it makes a world of difference. Thank you so much. Okay, now, matching. I want to go meta here for a minute about matching. When I stop and think about the entire volume of topics I have written about over 13 years in these executive coaching tips, I think the majority of them tie to this idea of matching in one way or another. Do you remember during the episode, I'm talking to Jared and I say, hey, I could match your breath or I could match your rate of speech. Do you remember that? I wonder what that sounded like to you. Those were theater games that I learned at Juilliard. We all learned to match each other, how to regulate our behavior to someone else's behavior. Why would we want to learn that? Because we were in the business of learning about transformation, So matching is a great skill to have. And we learned that behaviors are tangible. They're like socks. You can change them. (laughs) 
Some people in the workplace, I think that's a new idea, but it's true. You can change your behavior like changing your socks. Have you ever watched a speaker and thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that? Well, that's a form of matching, right? And listen, I hope there are people around you that you admire where you look and you say, oh my goodness, I would like to act like that. That is certainly matching, right? My point is that if you are working to adapt your behavior in even the slightest ways, it can be really helpful to think of yourself as trying to match something that's distinct from you. Matching can help you define your goal. And here's what else can help you with matching. DISC, or something like DISC. First, just a quick word about what's DISC. It's an assessment. You take it online. It takes about 15 minutes to complete. It's all multiple choice, and it results in this terrific report. It's great. Oh, my. If you want to see a sample of the report, there's one on our website. I'll post the link in the show notes. If you're on the Essential Communications website, it's under the tab called You and Us, and then it's Tools and Resources. So you can see a report if you're interested. They're great. Take a look. But let me tell you the magic of DISC. I've been using DISC with teams for more than 20 years, and never, not once in 20 years, did any team ever feel it was a waste of time? Not once. That's magical. Every group who ever uses DISC gets value from it. It is friendly and fun and meaningful, and people love it. Look, I'm not trying to sell you DISC, although I must say I would love to do it with you and your team. It is so much fun. Really, I would love to do it with you and your team. But my point is, if you want to gain influence... Having an instrument like DISC can be so helpful because it is going to show you where you do and do not match with others. Matching, the second sliver of this enormous concept called influence. I actually have a five-point model for influence that I talked about with Chad McAllister on his podcast, The Everyday Innovator. I was on Chad's show once before talking about sorting and labeling. If you don't know sorting and labeling... You can't achieve the look and sound of leadership without it. There is an episode about sorting and labeling in the Look and Sound of Leadership archive. And Chad and I took a really deep dive on it on his Everyday Innovator podcast. That was episode 137. But then Chad was poking around the Essential Communications website, and he saw that we offer a training called Influencing Others. And he asked if I would come on his show and talk about the five-point influence model that is the basis for that course. And so I did. And Chad and I had a great conversation about it. He's a wonderful interviewer, very crisp, very clear. So that is Everyday Innovators, Episode 162. And that conversation went so well it was the inspiration for this episode. So I took two points of the five-point model, matching and involving people, and made those the core of this episode. And of course, there are more influence tools for you in the Look and Sound of Leadership archive. There's an entire category in the archive called perception, how you're perceived. There's a lot under that filter about influence. So where's the archive? The archive is on the Essential Communications website. The URL is essential.com with two Ms.com. You can either go to the Coaching Tips tab or the Podcast tab. Either one will take you to the archive. And, you know, I often forget to mention this, but if you want a PDF of the podcast, 
Those are in the archive too. Or when you're on the site, you can subscribe to the HTML version of the Look and Sound of Leadership. That's just the story. It's not the commentary. You know, it's just like a transcript, but it hits your inbox on the same day the podcast goes live. When you're on the website, just hit subscribe. I would love to add you to the list. And if you want to search for specific episodes to help you build your influence, five episodes that I think connect to ideas here are a breakdown of listening, building empathy, building rapport, getting agreement, and your goodwill bank account. That's it for me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.